some new headphones. Get this shit together, son. Yeah, I think it's the splitter. Which, to be fair, uh, the setup has hung with us for like two years now. <laughs> so that little cheapo splitter has hung in there. <laughs> God damn. It's time to upgrade some equipment. Let's get us a mixer. Finally have a, a soundboard. Proper studio. <laughs> I would like to get like a mixer, but we'd have to change our entire mic setup. And also that would be very expensive. Yeah. We need a Jamie for that. <laughs> I'll be like, Javier, pull that shit up. <laughs> Javier. <laughs> you do it hiring migrant workers <laughs> to, to work, in the, work for the podcast. Javier. <laughs> Quit changing those tires. Get over here. Bring the fucking It's podcast time. <laughs> Yo, como soy. <laughs> I was just looking at the menu for a Mexican restaurant, so Javier was looking at mine. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. Presented mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the wearing a nice t-shirt, Kristen Bloom. <laughs> wearing entirely clothes that were meant for you. <laughs> Don't you, care. You really are. Sweatpants. <laughs> my, my, I had to give Kristen my sweatpants. Uh, this is not going to be interesting to anybody. Because they um, shrunk. Because, <laughs> because they shrunk and I couldn't walk without fucking <laughs> not checking myself legs. the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm being a bum today, but that's okay, because I went to the gym. Goddamn right you went to the gym, and you're on uh, new supplements and stuff. I am. I finished... We talked about this a long time ago, so um, I don't know if uh, people listening now have heard any of these previous <laughs> conversations. But yeah, I started doing a workout guide like way back in September, and it's a three-month program. I finished it and then tried to advance up to the next program. Turns out I'm a basic bitch. <laughs> um, and I had to redo the same program I had done already again because yeah. the Which isn't first, bad. Yeah, yeah. The first week of the advanced program made me want to cry. Mm -hmm. um, still does a little bit, <laughs> but I finished the first program again, uh, or I guess earlier this month. Um, yeah, I'm on, I just finished week one of the new program, Fuck started yeah. taking protein supplements. I was taking pre-workout previously, but started taking protein supplements, greens and collagen. And we'll see if I continue to, uh, maintain the discipline. Uh, but week one is We're going well-ish. I, I hurt quite a bit more yeah. though. Yeah, you've upgraded. You're in a different <laughs> class now. You're in the taking supplements class. Yeah. I, I'm hoping it'll really kind of bring the results home because I've definitely lost weight and I've definitely toned mm -hmm. up and like started developing muscles that I never had Sexy. before. Thank you. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I'm not where I want to be. So I'm really hoping mm -hmm. the advanced program will kind of drive that in. <laughs> yeah. But fuck all that for today because tonight we're watching The Birds mm -hmm. by Alfred Hitchcock eating, and eating homemade eating pizza. Homemade pizzas. I'm so excited. <laughs> We've never made a pepperoni pizza homemade so I'm so excited for yeah, it. Yeah. We typically make, we crush this like barbecue chicken, onion, pineapple, pineapple. fucking disaster. It's one of the most ridiculous pizzas. <laughs> it's really good. Literally yeah. one slice is about all you can eat because it's so big. <laughs> and today we're going to do a margarita pizza. So I'm excited about it. So excited. And I'm excited to watch the birds because I've never seen the birds. I've only ever seen like the scene that everybody has seen from the birds. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it once. It's been quite a while, though. I don't really remember mm -hmm. it. Um, 1963. I'm, ha I'm happy that we're watching a bunch of like these older films and stuff like that as of late. Like we did Casablanca. We're we did Psycho. We're doing another Hitchcock. So really, we've done two Hitchcocks in Casablanca. <laughs> um, I have, which is not that old, but I have Princess Bride. We're going to watch that eventually. Yeah. And I keep seeing Gone with the Wind at Walmart. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I'm Gone with the Wind yet. If it's in the discount bin. I'd get it. It's in the discount bin. You should get it. I bought birds for $7.45 today. So. I would, I'd like to get um, Singing in the Rain because I have seen mm -hmm. that. And it was, it was fun. Like, it, yeah. it wasn't like a top 10 movie or anything like that but it was fun i really want to see breakfast at tiffany's too yeah i've never seen that one never seen that i think that's also a truman capote book yeah he told me that yeah i think that he did uh in cold blood i mean he, did, he was a legend he did a whole bunch of shit but yeah i think he wrote breakfast at tiffany's but i couldn't even tell you what that's about i definitely thought like, to me it's like the graduate like they could be interchangeable have you seen the graduate never seen the graduate that was one i had to watch in film school yeah there's a cool scene um, in The Graduate where um, they do this trick 
the uh, type of lens you use mm-hmm. when you're shooting a shot can kind of affect the way the scene looks and the way the action in the scene looks. And um, whenever we got to the point, while well, I was in film school, where we were studying like different types of lenses and what different types of lenses can do for you yeah. if you know how to work with them. Um, there's a cool scene in The Graduate where he's... Um, trying to stop the woman that he loves from marrying someone else and mm-hmm. he's literally like running to the church to because they're in the middle of the ceremony to try to object to the ceremony and um he's running straight towards the camera but there's a wide lens on the camera and wide lenses tend to compress space mm-hmm. so your mind thinks the background is closer than the background really is yeah. it kind of pulls it forward um visually so he's running towards the camera and it looks like he's literally running in the same spot for the longest time because That's cool. yeah, your eye thinks he's closer than he is, but he's not really mm-hmm. like he's much further away than you think he is. So it's like, good God, like is he ever gonna make it? <laughs> Which is supposed to be a tension building thing because you're supposed to be like, will he make it to the church on time? Yeah. No, I'm. I'd love to see that. There's a. That, that, that's wild just to think about. I'm like trying to picture that in my brain. Mm-hmm. So we definitely have to do the graduate. Yeah, it's. I think people blow it a bit more out of proportion yeah. just because it's a neat trick. People are like, oh, it doesn't look like he's making any headway. And I'm like, well, you can tell he's getting closer. It yeah. just seems to be taking him a very long time well, to the... span what looks like a shorter distance mm-hmm. than it really is. I don't know what Walmarts do in like other parts of the country. But um, what I like about the one that we have here in town is because it's, a, I mean, it's a technical college town, but it is still Montana. And mm-hmm. it's there's two Walmarts in the city and they're probably the only Walmarts for the next four hours. Like if I had to like th- make a guess. So people come down from the mountains to do their shopping and then they go back out to the surrounding areas which means because those people tend to be older we have a great selection of old film at the walmart so like i went and picked up tombstone the other day bought the birds for seven dollars bought um apocalypse now was like over there yeah well like there's a bunch of older films like that's where i got casablanca it's where i was gonna get gone with the wind so like you get the full division and then you get the dumb Walmart movies like apparently Robert Downey Jr. was in a Dr. Doolittle film <laughs> I do think it's kind of strange for how big of a corporation Walmart is though how small the movie selection is like that's the yep. thing I miss about like blockbusters and mm-hmm. stuff like that is you would go in and it'd be wall to wall motherfucking to wall. Hastings yeah you'd go in movies. and buy like three DVDs for five dollars yeah, I miss Hastings because yeah like you were pretty much guaranteed the movie that you were looking yeah. for was going to be there. And with Walmart, it's like, I'm going to meander and see if anything catches my eye. Mm-hmm. It's not like, I don't know, because we've gone there looking for stuff before and they don't have it. So, yeah. I don't know. It does make me sad that their movie selection's as small as it is. Like, I'm keeping my eye open for Eternal Sunshine, because I still have not seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, despite the fact that we've talked about it for three years. Oh, it's just a, never shown up. Movie. And we missed it while it was on Netflix. It's one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of sad that places like Hastings went under because I understand the movie rental aspect maybe not being as popular. Yeah, Netflix bodied everybody. Yeah, <laughs> like I understand maybe the movie rental aspect not being as popular with Netflix. But again, with Netflix, you're kind of at the mercy of what they have available. Yeah. And if what you want to see, like Eternal Sunshine, is not on Netflix, mm-hmm. like I would still want to go out and buy it. So I wish like Hastings and places like that had been able to survive even just selling the product and not running anymore. And you'd think that they'd be able to do that fucking forever because I, I think of DVDs much in the way I think of books. Like there's not a huge chance that I'm ever going to want to read Stephen King's The Long Walk ever again. But if I want to, it's right over there. Yeah, I want to be able to go pick it up. Yeah. I want to be able to. to see it. I don't want to watch The Matrix right this second, but I've had that DVD since the beginning of DVDs, so I have The Matrix, you know, so and I can sit a, down and watch it. Here's a society idea, because there are public libraries. There should be some kind of government public movie place. Fuck yeah. Well, like <laughs> Mandatory li- in each town. Libraries typically have a DVD collection where you can rent out like films and stuff like that. I don't um, think they have, like, it's not the same thing as going no, to Hastings. No, no. The, one, the one back home only had, like, 20 DVDs at any given time, and it would be, like, the original Bonnie and Clyde and, like, Shrek. <laughs> like, no, no rhyme or reason to their selection. But it would be really cool if the libraries expanded and had a DVD room where you could go in and be yeah. like, fuck Netflix, today I want to see 
blah. You know? Again, even if it wasn't rental based, if there's not enough profit to be made by renting because of things like Netflix, like I, I cannot believe that there aren't enough people around that still want to own their own movies yeah. that a film store that just sells product wouldn't mm-hmm. be successful. So these fucking kids. Sad. These kids and their TikTok videos. Stupid Nobody's TikTok out here videos. being goddamn cultured. Swine. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but speaking of uh, influences and speaking of programs and uh, segues. <laughs> <laughs> so I know, so I think we briefly touched on it in the, the last episode that we forgot we were supposed to put out and it will be coming out right before this one. Um, speaking of Stranger Things. <laughs> I don't think we brought it up, actually. Oh, I thought we talked about it briefly. No, I think we our other topics yeah. ran the whole time, so we never even talked about it at all. But if you guys are not familiar with Stranger Things and you want to watch it, you might want to skip this episode because wa- we've watched all three in the past couple of weeks. Um and we're going to talk about that. <laughs> Fantastic show. It's it's one of those things, um, which is the nerd in me coming out, I guess. Like, whenever I was a kid growing up, and I, like, first really found my passion for, like, um, filmmaking in particular, mm-hmm. not just movies or watching movies or whatever. Um Lord of the Rings was like my it like mm-hmm. movie. I was like, man, I wish I could have worked on that. And I was like, I think eleven or twelve. I thought you or meant something. like Stephen King's it. <laughs> no, so that was my it. Yes, Gandalf was my, was it. my Pennywise. Yes, <laughs> all those children he ate. Uh, no, that was like my movie. That was like my holy grail. If I ever could have worked on a movie, yeah. I would have wanted to work on that. Star Wars would definitely be a close second, like the the original three but obviously both of those are in the stack by the way we will be getting to them soon we don't own star wars we gotta buy star we gotta buy star wars yeah only one two and three though or no three four and five five four five and six seven and twelve four five and six (laughs) the original three one two and three don't count um (laughs) we don't want to hear about darth maul and his double sabers stupid jar jar binks those are the only ones I know because I saw the fucking return of the whatever, you know, the one with did? the one with Jar Jar I saw in the movie theater, so I they, remember that one. They Anakin did. and his pod. <laughs> they did, which is actually an interesting redesign of the lightsaber because um, Darth Maul did have the double-sided sabers. You're right about that. My brother which, has a little action figure of him. <laughs> which seems very impractical because it only works for, like, the spinning and the whatever. Yeah. And um, in the more recent Star Wars movies that they made with... Um, like the new generation stuff and I can't even think of what any of them are called right now but where it's like yeah. Han Solo is older and 27, 28, and 29 yeah that was <laughs> <laughs> um, Kylo Ren is uh, uh, Han Solo and Leia's son and he has a lightsaber that has the traditional you know stick that comes out the top and yeah. then two teeny tiny little blades that come out the side almost like a handle on an old style sword mm-hmm. i was like that's actually kind of cool because if someone swings down and you miss they still catch your little tiny blade to the side so they don't slice your arm off interesting so i was like that's kind of a cool reimagining for the dumb original double-sided one <laughs> but anyway i digress um <laughs> yeah because no lord of the rings was like my holy grail movie as a kid because those were like coming out and being made while i was young enough to understand yeah um, how meaningful that was to the yeah. industry. Like, you're not just looking at it going, wow, this is a movie. Like, yeah. you're like, this might change some shit. No, like, and this like, might I... Rattle. Like, the feeling that I got, like, when we watched Joker together, I was like, this is gonna change some shit. Yeah, and like, because <laughs> um, there's hours upon hours of behind-the-scenes stuff, and I have watched most of it. There mm-hmm. are, like, a few things that I skipped, because I was like, that's not really the part that I'm interested in. But yeah, I remember even at that age, which, like I said, I think I was... Preteen, early teen-ish age. Mm-hmm. I was pretty young. Um, like, especially with all the CGI stuff and, like, what a workshop and the way they were, like, designing a whole new way of developing CGI. I remember thinking at the time, like, movies aren't going to be the same after this. Yeah. Um, and so that was, like, my holy grail movie. And then, like, Stranger Things came out. And I was like, God damn it, I want to work on Stranger <laughs> Things. It's a little well, bit more feasible. I could try to well dive us into it because i've just now got a connection to it i didn't think i was going to enjoy it i thought we were watching it so that Kristen could watch season four so i needed to get caught up on one two i hadn't seen three yet yeah much in the way that i'm still trying to get Kristen through the peaky blinders rest in peace Um, (laughs) (laughs) i've gotten fairly far i know we can pick it back up i'm giving you shit to be Um, fair i only had three seasons peaky blinders is way longer (laughs) 
but I, I thought I would be going into it and go like for the whole first like one and a half seasons, every episode you were like, well, we can turn this off if you're not enjoying it. I was like, I love this fucking show, <laughs> but uh, I think it did help having you there because as you said, like before we even went into the first one, you said it's going to get a little nerdy. And I was like, great. So I'll ask you all of the nerdy questions. Like <laughs> what game are they show. playing? It's Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons. Dragons. They stand up and they dress like wizards. What? You know? <laughs> It's like there were speed bumps for me just because that's not my... I mean, horror is my genre, but like that more quote-unquote nerdier side of things is really not my game. But I loved this fucking show. I Yeah, because I had never seen season three before, so Brett and I just finished that um, a couple of days ago. And it's kind of a shock because I think a part of what makes the first season so endearing is how young they are Mm -hmm. and like... How these kids who really honestly aren't able to affect any change have this belief that they can make a difference. Yeah. Um, and the kid with the slingshot, like Lucas always running around with the slingshot, like trying to fight the monster. And it's like, we all know as adults, he's not going to yeah, fight he's not gonna get anything there. with what? the slingshot. But I, I think that's what makes it so endearing is all these young children still have these like hopes and dreams mm-hmm. and like indestructible visions of what they can accomplish. Yeah. And as you said uh, before we started the show, there was a heavy Stephen King influence on the writing team as they were putting the shit together. Mm-hmm. And so for me in the first season, I, I would agree with you 100%. It felt like it. Like it felt like the kids that are trying to fight Pennywise with like gum and balloons. You know? It is very similar, <laughs> yeah, if you really think about it because the one kid goes missing mm-hmm. and then it's the same thing with Stranger Things. The one kid And I think goes the missing. kid in... No, I'm not even going to say, because I'm not 100% Georgie, sure. Georgie, isn't it? Georgie, yes. Yeah. I was going to say Billy, and I was like, I think Bill's one of the other characters. That's but Georgie. <laughs> well, in my head, I was like, Bill, William, Bill, Will, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Georgie. Bill's yeah, one some, of the other guys. <laughs> which, I mean, we didn't make a list of them or anything, but there's a ton of references in general. There were like scenes where we were like, oh, that's clearly Nightmare on Elm, yeah. or, you know. Yeah, the nostalgia side of shit. But what I wanted to say before we dive into into that is what I liked about just my key takeaway, having jam rushed, watched all three of these seasons. It starts off really innocent, and season three is fucking violent. Like it's I love, very dark. I, I love how the show matures along with the characters. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell that okay, now we really have a budget. Now the actors are really in groove with each other. L is definitely L in three more than she is in one and you get two is this beautiful transitional period where we get a little bit of the violence and a little bit of the laughs and then by three it's like your heart is breaking for will uh who's still stuck in childhood and at the same time moved on without him yeah in every episode somebody's getting their ass kicked somebody's getting shot Yeah, it went it, hard as fucking season. L kills people with a car, dude. With a car in a mall. It's on a display. She fucking winks her fucking head and it shoots across the mall and kills three people. Like, she's the goddamn Incredible Hulk. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> well, they do show L um, crush the bad guy's skulls that are, like, trying to throw her in solitary confinement. In the first season. Yes, yeah, so yeah. they do show that in the first season. But I think outside of that... Most of the people that die in season one die off screen. I think the only... In the upside down. Like when they're just basically feeding the Marines into the... (laughs) Yeah, and even um, when her papa dies, we just Mm -hmm. see a monster attacking him. And he just falls out of, like, screen. So, like, we don't really see anybody's death, I think, in season one. Even Barb, Mm -hmm. we just see she vanishes and that's it. And we do see her dead body and it's kind of gross looking, but... Yeah, there is, as far as, like, the weight of the consequences of what's mm-hmm. going on, a lot more innocence to season one. Like I think we'd... the changing point is Bill the Brain, which is either the end of season two or the Bob. beginning of season three. Bob yeah, the Bob the Brain. <laughs> um, like, his death. It's like, okay, we're holding the camera here, and you're going to watch this dude get eaten from the yeah. liver out. <laughs> and I think... Which they eternally do that to Joyce's character, just take away all the things that she loves. Yeah. But I think the thing about that that's so impactful is they really, like, build a strong chemistry between her and Bob. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the death is, like, so visceral. So and it's right like, in front yeah. of her. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, definitely shifting towards the dark 
storyline towards yeah. the end of season two. But man, yeah, I'd, performances all around. I, I there's mm-hmm. not any characters, even the bad guys in any of these seasons that I'm like, oh, I hate that character. I love all of them. There's a whole bunch of um, things that I want to talk about, but bounce back to the nostalgia thing. Nostalgia in film, like an homage versus a threat or a theft. Like we've seen films before where like, oh, they stole that flat out. Like <laughs> this is just, they, they grabbed it, they used it. It doesn't feel like a wink and a nod. Watching this all three seasons, every single scene, I'm like, oh my God, like the way that they're dressed here is like mm-hmm. The Shining, yeah, but there's... the scene itself is not about The Shining, you know? Yeah, there's a scene too, which I think is one of the ones for me, there's tons, but I think it's one of the ones for me that stood out the most where... Max is on a bike with someone else. I can't remember mm-hmm. who, if it's Elle or who's on the bike with her, but she's on a bike with someone else and she's on the back and she's got that iconic yellow rain jacket on yeah. that is clearly like nodding at it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, oh, like and the scene isn't like a dangerous scene or a scary scene or anything like that. They're riding like a bike to someone's house, I think, to mm-hmm. like check on someone or something. I can't even remember what it is, but... I was like, that is definitely a nod to it. (laughs) And it's throughout the show. Like, almost every scene I was able to point at it and be like, that's from this film. Like, that's from that film. But yeah, much in that way. Like, Nancy. Yeah, Nancy for sure. Especially, like, by the third (laughs) season where she's fighting the little mind flare fucking things. But that looks exactly like Nightmare on Elm. But uh, they they do the, the wink and a nod in a way where they're not stealing from the film the scenario of that like if they would have stopped with the yellow rain jacket and even like glanced at a gutter i would have been like oh go fuck yourself (laughs) if the thing had come out of the gutter i'd be like oh now you've stolen the yellow jacket from it but you've used it as a passing it's a costume choice you know that if you know it then you know it but if you don't know it then like it's not going to ruin the film for you yeah yeah i think that's the cool thing about how many times they do it is um, I didn't grow up in the 80s. I was born in the very, very tell end yeah, of the 80s. And so. I was born in 91. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I grew up in the 90s and that's the era for me where I'm like, oh, that's my childhood. But I, I think anyone who uh, has ever had parents, <laughs> period, <laughs> who is roughly in our age bracket and knows what the 80s style looks like yeah, in the way that... You've seen the Polaroids of your mom with the big fluffy hair and the I mean, cigarette. My, and my mom was fighting, abandoning her 80s fashion even when I was a kid growing up. I'm like, Mom, you can't wear that stuff. You gotta stop. Yeah. My mom was <laughs> slamming the Bay City Rollers. Like, <laughs> while I was in high school, she was driving around listening to the Bay City Rollers. I get it, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's what's... Um, kind of cool about it is there's mm-hmm. so much like homage in general to the From time the, period the music even the the style that they do the intro like mm-hmm. theme you know is very 80s very arcadia you know? yeah and like, it literally feels like from episode one season one like you have stepped back in time mm-hmm. and i i like I like that it feels genuine, where my one complaint with Bates Motel when we were watching it was it felt like they were trying to nod back to yeah. the 60s or whatever, but it was very purposely set present day, but for some reason still Norma dressed like she was running mm-hmm. around in the 60s. And, and so did all the other kids a, in town. <laughs> well, I think the only other kid did was the kid that looked like her mm-hmm. that Norman the married girl that Norman yeah. fell in love with like everybody else looked normal but Norma looked like she was trapped back in the 60s driving a car from the 60s mm-hmm. and like it just felt so out of place because then they'd have smartphones and I'm like <laughs> I, why are we driving the yeah 67 like let's make Buick. a choice yeah. either bring it to the future and maybe she just has an old-timey car because mm-hmm. she likes old-timey cars but dress her a bit more modern or put it back in time mm-hmm so, like, I, I like that Stranger Things as a whole feels like we've jumped back into the 80s, which the 80s is probably a bit more easy timepiece-wise to pull off for yeah. the entire show than the 60s you would You just be. have to eliminate certain technologies and you can <laughs> easily go back. The old color phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, none of them have yeah, cell like phones. Which... <laughs> Hopper smokes cigarettes indoors throughout the entire show, like he's smoking in the bathroom. He's like... smoking in that fancy restaurant he tries to take Joyce to in season three. Exactly. So, like, we do get these weird, like, oh, we can't do that anymore. And simply because we can't do that anymore, it puts you back there. You're like, oh, well, this is the life that we're living now. He's got a studio apartment with no door to the bathroom. 
Yeah, and I like to, um, because we've talked about that before, like eliminating... um, The cell phone. Yeah, like Mm -hmm. eliminating tools that your character can use that we have modern day that would kind of take care of a lot of these problems. So there's a huge, huge chunk of all three seasons where the kids are in trouble and they can't get to help and they can't notify anyone that they need mm-hmm. help and easily eliminated because back in the 80s, cell phones didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> so. Until somebody figures out how the cell phone is terrifying, and it is terrifying if you think about it for any length of time, <laughs> until we effectively use that in the horror genre, I think that the horror genre is not going to be able to step away from the 80s and into the 2020s. Like I feel like we're perpetually stuck in the 80s because it was the time where if you got lost in the woods... You were just lost in the woods. <laughs> well, the hope would be that every character has your cell phone and it dies within five seconds. Exactly. <laughs> but then people would say that's a cliche because nobody would just have their dead phone. It's like like what, Brett what, would. What's that dude who's not a hipster who has an 11-year-old iPhone? Battery dies the second he turns it on. I'm going to write that in my storyline. You're going to open your phone and it's just going to say 10% battery left. Yeah. And everybody in the audience is going to groan and say it's cliche. And I'm like, but Brett would do that. It's like Brett will pull his phone out right now and it's probably on. 10% Probably. battery just because it's cold outside. <laughs> Every time we try to play music for date night, it's like 10%. I'm like, God damn it, Brad, charge your phone. I want to listen to Brad Paisley. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got a couple of different like things that like <clears throat> I was trying to think of like themes and I've got like my concept of the show and I've had the same theory for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to delve into it because season four is going to come out and I'm not trying to get hit in the nuts, but um, I was trying to come up with like, why do I like this thing so much? And I thought of a couple of themes and I stole one or two from an article that I read about theme. It was like somebody's master's thesis about stranger things, I guess, or a blog post. It was really interesting and I wish I'd written down the name. Um, but like we use this show (laughs) to talk about real things and i don't know how to word this so if you can help me out with it that would be great um like we're able to talk about real issues without being preachy like Mm -hmm. we talk about and mostly it's um bipolar disorder as opposed to or schizophrenia instead of diving into that it's ghosts you know, like, oh no, you know, you're not hearing voices in your head, it's ghosts. It's like, do you know how much scarier it is if it's voices in their head? Just fucking lean in and go. And so I've got like a list of things here where I feel like the show talks about the real issues without being preachy, um, without making it the top concern, almost like the issue is the yellow jacket as it's going by on the screen. You're like, oh, I can connect that to the film It. These issues you can connect to the real world, our modern day world, almost 30 years or 40 years after, you know, the show was set, um, where it doesn't take away from the action. Like, this stands alone perfectly as a story about kids fighting the upside down, Mm -hmm. but it presents these real moral themes that we don't get a lot of today. Like, we lost it with the death of the sitcom. (laughs) We don't get the moral... Well, I think the problem with a lot of stuff that's more modern, um, which I'm I'm not dismissing by any account the importance of having these conversations. I am uh, a liberal, so I, mm-hmm. I tend to lean pretty left in most of my viewpoints, so I agree with a lot of the conversations that are being had. I think the problem, though, and why there's such a divide between the left and the right in modern society is we don't know how to bridge the gap in these conversations. So one side's screaming their point of view while the other side's screaming their point of view. And the truth is when you encounter these type of situations out in the real world and it's not a debate that two people are having, Mm -hmm. they tend to be passing situations. So um, Will, for instance, if we're going to talk about, I guess, mental health or whatever, is our character who on my list I'm <laughs> who is kind of the character that's seeing and hearing things and he is literally seeing and hearing things mm-hmm. but the way it's presented in the show when he's seeing and hearing things it's of immediate danger to the people around him yeah. and it's not like kids are making fun of him for it it's like oh shit's going down will heard something you know and then same thing with his mother yeah well his, yeah 
His, his mother presented is presented a bit more crazy mother, up front. Season one, you're like, this bitch is batshit. And mm. then by the end of it, you're like, I'm with the batshit. <laughs> yeah. She's like the L of the grown-ups. <laughs> I think the thing that's particularly moving about Will's situation is... Once Will is free of his demon that is mm-hmm. literally causing him to see things, and Will is semi-back to living a normal life, Will still has PTSD from it, and Will is still getting picked on by the kids in the town. So, like, kids are calling him gay, and calling him crazy, and calling him zombie boy, yeah. and Will has, I guess, to some extent, gone back to being normal, and he's not seeing shit anymore, and he's not hearing shit anymore, but he still has the trauma that he's carrying mm-hmm. And that is kind of how it would work in real life if you were the outcast or the weird kid. Like, the kid would skate by you on a skate and bo- or skate by you on a skateboard and be like, "What are you looking at, you fag?" or whatever, yeah. and just keep going. It wouldn't be like they'd sit there and just like torture you or rub it in or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I like that it's presented in that way, where like people call him gay in passing, and like people pick on him in passing and call him zombie and leave little stickers inside of his locker yeah, or whatever. Passively bully. Yeah, because that is, I feel like a bit truer to real life especially for children when you're presented with these heavy topics Mm -hmm. where kids are like the outcast and kids are getting made fun of it's a bit more passive bullying every day that wears you down over time yeah and we parallel that with his getting stuck in his childhood which i think is a really interesting move Mm -hmm. he's traumatized at a young age i love that we've got a child who's dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. I think that's really fucking powerful. Um, And we see in his childish... um, Childish, probably the wrong word. um, Stunted. Yeah, stunted state. um, He is still the all-powerful wizard. Like, he's taken this trauma response where he's looking to be in control of something, and Mm -hmm. to do that, he almost has to act the age that he was when he gets taken. Which I thought was a really powerful fucking commentary. I do wish in season three they had given him a bit more of his own art. I think we're going to see more. I hope so. (laughs) I do like that in season three, this like tingling sensation of the monster being here has kind of become a warning signal for him instead of like something that paralyzes him. He's like, it's here. We need to be ready. Yeah, I know what to do now. He's not freshly shocked. He's starting to grow you know like he's really starting to build from it um which is another point that i have here um the show explores on a really deep level not only trauma but that redemption that comes through self-love and like reflecting on the thing realizing that you did the right thing when you might have felt like you did the wrong you know realizing that you can fix it your wrong mistakes as well. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of characters that make bad choices and have to come back and redeem them yeah. and accept like, responsibility. My favorite is Hopper and Elle's fight. I can't remember what season that was. Season, season two. Season whenever two. she runs off. Yeah, where she breaks everything in the fucking house and he flips out and he doesn't, you know, do the good dad thing. And then he has to come back and she's not ready to come back and they, like, have to learn how to communicate with mm-hmm. each other. But throughout the show, there's this trauma, self-reflection, self-love. It goes all the way up to Max coming out as a lesbian. No, that's uh, Robin. Max is the little girl. Oh, Robin coming out as a lesbian. Um, Fans of the show are going to be like, what? When did Max come out? (laughs) I've seen season four. (laughs) I worked on that shit. I wrote that bastard. NBC's going to fire me or whoever owns that show. Lucas is (laughs) heartbroken. But yeah, like uh, her coming out of the closet in that like bathroom scene is, where Steve has just confessed his love is one of the most incredible scenes I think I've ever seen. I don't I'm using that word a lot today, but where the camera, like he's overcoming trauma, overcoming this denial of himself, revealing himself. And then she does the same. We get this gorgeous shot over the bathroom dividers and he crawls into her, you know, like little pod and they come together as, like, no, I still love you. You can be gay. I just, I guess that means we're not having sex. Like, we can still be, you know, fucking awesome friends and have this beautiful relationship. So, yeah, the trauma self-love is throughout the show. I think Steve's character is probably my favorite example of it. Because in season one, 
They don't make you hate Steve. Like, Billy is a much more hateable character. Bad mullet. Yeah, bad mullet. <laughs> He's a much more hateable character. So I, think I couldn't remember their names throughout the entirety of the show. So he was good mullet. good mullet and bad mullet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think to some extent they probably knew there was going to be an arc for Steve. I think that's why they didn't make him, like, so gross in season one. But in season mm-hmm. one, he wasn't the most likable. Like, he was kind of a douche and kind of self-centered and kind of like... I just want my pretty girlfriend and I want to go to parties yeah. and just be a... And I've got my short shorts so I can play basketball. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I like that his character went from being douchey enough that his girlfriend left him because he wasn't trying to understand her trauma of losing her best friend and feeling like it was her fault. Mm-hmm. So I like that his response to that wasn't like, well, fuck you and, you know... He did try to fight Jonathan, and Jonathan kicked his ass, so that was kind of... <laughs> a lot bad. of people kicked his ass. <laughs> yeah. He got his ass kicked a lot. <laughs> and then he fucked the dude up. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like that they gave his character that growth. Like, he didn't accept Nancy leaving him gracefully initially, but by season two, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for her. She's a good person. Like, he's not out trash-talking mm-hmm. her when someone else, like, tries to say something negative about her. He's like, no, she's great, you know? Yeah. And, like, by season three, he's, like, Mama Steve, like, looking out for all the kids and, well, like, yeah. willing to put himself in danger's way to keep the people around him safe. So it's a nice arc. And it's one of the other things on my list. <laughs> we keep going back to my list. Uh, this one was the one I blatantly stole from this person's master's thesis. Um, the concept of the masculine and the feminine and how they balance each other out throughout the film. So obviously we've got that dynamic. We've also got Hopper and L. Uh, Hopper, who is the angry Bruce Probably Willis, the police man's officer. man, the man's man movie, of the show. In the show yeah. yeah, he's drinking beer, he's smoking cigarettes, he's shooting people. He doesn't give a shit. And then we enter L, who could destroy the entire world if she decides to flip. She's not gonna flip. She is the innocence and the elegance. And she learns how to control rage through Hopper, and Hopper learns how to control rage through L. They learn how to communicate. We get this beautiful pull together of their hyper 80s traits, you know, Mm -hmm. prepubescent girl coming into her hormones, angry dad, I'll clean my gun in front of your boyfriend. And they have this beautiful dynamic that is in a lot of different stages. Like we see the men get softer and the women get harder until they make a greater team. Mm -hmm. That's kind of poetic. (laughs) Uh, I blatantly stole it from a master's thesis. <laughs> I do like... I read that and I said we're talking about that. <laughs> I do really like, in um, Hopper's case, in season three, he makes a bad choice and threatens um, Mike, which causes L ultimately to dump Mike. But I like that because I was like, oh, Elle's going to be pissed. They're going to have another yeah. falling out. Like It's going to put another ding in their relationship. I do like that they went the opposite route where... Elle, as a, a young girl coming into her own, discovers she can have girlfriends and she can mm-hmm. have independent thoughts. And I she love doesn't... that he busts the door open and he sees it's Elle sitting there with her little girlfriend. And he's like, that's okay. He <laughs> yeah. goes and sits and drinks at the recliner. <laughs> he's all happy, yeah. And I like that they didn't go that route, which, I mean, I feel like it's a natural response, I think, um, for a teenager, teenager to be angry at their parent for lying. Mm-hmm. Um, but for... L to have instead kind of embraced like he wanted me to be independent and kind of do stuff for myself and Mm -hmm. that it doesn't have to be all Mike and all Mike's wants and all Mike's needs all the time. Um, So I I like that they kind of embrace that where L's like, yeah, I can dress how I want to dress and go where I want to go and be myself. And Mike is just here as my partner, not my end all be all. Yeah. Like this is a relationship that's probably not going to end in marriage, but you still get all those raw emotions that you would get in a middle school relationship like she's the one man (laughs) we listen to a creed song together um but there's also the presence of a lot of uh flawed and absent fathers like l and hopper are close because papa you know quote unquote is the absentee father hopper is the flawed father l blossoms inside of this environment where the stereotype is that girls that grow up with absentee or flawed fathers explode in their adulthood in very negative ways where we get a well-rounded L 
despite that. She does like, skip she, town in season two, though, and have a punk phase. Yeah, and jo- <laughs> joins a street gang for some <laughs> weird reason. We're not even going to talk about that fucking episode. <laughs> I do like that she comes back and Hopper's like, I don't mind the look. And she's like, it's bitch. And he's like, sure. It's bitch. <laughs> yeah. um, but across the board, like you don't have a lot of fathers. You have a lot of mother because you have the who we thought was schizophrenic. Will's mom is named. Joyce. She's the most famous actress in the entire show. I can't fucking remember <laughs> remember her name. Um, yeah, her yeah, like Joyce is. is yeah, Joyce is the most present mother in the entire show, and for the whole first like season and a half, we're not sure if this is all in Joyce's head. <laughs> but she's she's fighting for Will like a bastard, you know, and Will doesn't have the father figure there. I don't think any of the boys do, do they? Except for Lucas. Lucas. has a dad. Yeah. Um, and Which actually that goes against the stereotype. Yeah, that one's actually really kind of endearing because they show it's a very strong, happy mm-hmm. household, and he is the only character of color in the show. And yeah, like there's that goes adorable... Goes against the 80s stereotype. Yeah, there's that yeah. adorable moment when they're all at the dinner table, and like Lucas is trying to figure out how to apologize to Max because he's upset Max, and he's like... Well, what about whenever she's wrong and the dad's like, oh, she's never wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And the mom's just over there smiling. Yeah, fucking beautiful. (laughs) But that's like a huge issue that rarely gets, like, addressed. I love that they were able to shoot this back into the 80s because even if, you know, you're you or me where we were there at the tail end... um, like, we didn't get to experience that. But, like, the television only had X amount of channels. I'm like, sure, you could go see Terminator, you know, for three months. And then you had to wait nine months for the, you know, VHS tape, if that was even around. I don't... I'm bad at shit. I don't know anything about the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you get this, like, familial connection. But for so many people, like, I, I was a latchkey. I, were you... Uh... No, probably not. I wouldn't say so. I As soon as I was old enough to work, I started working, and I was either at work or at school. I, yeah. I wasn't out running the town. <laughs> no, like, latchkey, like, even at, like, 10 or 11 years old, like, I had a key to the house because my parents weren't home. I, my mom always knew where I was. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, it's a, it's an issue that's rare, especially in America, it's weird as shit because their divorce rates are out the fucking roof. Uh but, like, the, the concept of an absentee parent at all as being a basis, you know, for your characters, that they all have these absentees. They all kind of know where their kids are because they're all grouping up for the Dungeons & Dragons game. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's their familial connection is each other. So you get this really tight base for character. Yeah, and I... It is it still is... making sense? No. no is it yes. raining outside? Uh, yeah, I think it is. Fuck yeah. Um... No, it is interesting, because even whenever, outside of, I think, Lucas is probably actually the only example, even whenever there's a two-parent household, one of the parents is still kind of, like... Gone. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like, Will and Nancy, or or not Will, um, Mike and Nancy's dad is the dad who's just kind of, like, the oblivious, like, huh, character. What's going on? So, yeah, Yeah. it's, I mean, he's cute with their younger daughter, like, um... Arguably the greatest dad in the entire show is <laughs> Hopper, which is wild. <laughs> um, I do really like, too, um, speaking of like male-female dynamics, mm-hmm. Nancy and Jonathan's dynamic. Because Nancy and Steve, when Nancy and Steve were together, were a bit more stereotypical. Like, Nancy's the pretty, preppy girl yeah. in high school. Oh, Nancy. Steve's like <laughs> the macho basketball player dude who's not the brightest, but he's popular, you know? And it was like a very stereotypical, like... Steve will talk shit and, like, punch people, but also get his ass kicked (laughs) Um, kind of relationship. And, like, Steve was, like, the more um, dominating character in their relationship. But then she gets with Jonathan. And, like, literally from season one, when, you know, they're trying to fight off the demons and it's like somebody needs to take the gun. Nancy's always the one who takes the gun and Jonathan's just like, I'll grab this candelabra and hope (laughs) for the best. No, I I, I love the... (laughs) I love that as well, because that feels like a Wes Craven homage to me. Like, the character Nancy is obviously going to be drawn from the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Um, and she was the bad bitch in that film, you know? Especially and, in season three. Yeah. Um, like well, in, I mean, like, the original Nancy was the bad bitch oh, in yeah. uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and she 
you know, regains that role. Like, go fuck your macho 80s bullshit. <laughs> I'm going to be the one who clobbers the dude with the baseball bat, you know? I'd like, I think for me, though, in season three, it's the most powerful. Like, she has that moment in season two where Hopper tries to give the gun to Jonathan. He's like, do you know how to use this thing? Yeah. And Jonathan just is like, uh, and Nancy's like, I do. <laughs> um, but, like, that uh, shot in season three where she's shooting Billy's car as it's, like, barreling down on them and yeah, she doesn't she's... flinch. That Can we talk about that whole sequence yeah. for a second? Like, she's literally, like... She just raises up and is like, I'm... It's like stopping a car at a fucking checkpoint. Let's go. Bullets through the driver's side. I mean, side. look at the tail <laughs> end when Steve T-bones the car. You kind of see that she's ducked mm. off to the side a bit. But I'm like, that bitch was ready to get crushed to save those kids. Yeah. <laughs> that fucking car crash. We rewinded that, like, three times. Like, holy shit. Because at first, I wasn't sure what happened. I was like, did they fuck up in the editing bay? I didn't see the car come in from the side of the shot. I thought she hit him, and then, like, the car was supposed to do a weird flip thing. That was fucking awesome. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I thought in the first take that Billy had hit the car. Yeah. And she had just gotten out of the way of it. And then, like, you see Steve's car come to a stop. And I was like, wait a minute. Did Steve hit him? <laughs> <laughs> we had to rewind it back. I was like, what just happened? <laughs> and I've got two more points for your liberal heart, my love. My liberal You ready for it? I'm ready. Uh, I'm going to end on the sweetest one. Uh, but the first one I want to bring up is the way that the show addresses both race and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like we have, I think it's in the very first episode. They're calling my son a faggot. Well, is he? You know, it's like our introduction to Hopper. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Lucas's character coming from a more nuclear family than the other characters. Um, and he becomes like our like true soldier, like in the midst with his little slingshot and shit like that. Oh, How I- do- I think it's funny that he always thinks it's going to work, though, and it almost never does. (laughs) He has so much faith in that slingshot. They all do, and they're all trying to find the perfect rock, and they're like, yeah, that's the Demon Slayer. (laughs) Exactly. Like, he he, he brings his childhood weapon into him with battle, even when he knows that it's probably not going to go well. Mm -hmm. You know, like, he's always got his little slingshot. I I do, again, like that it's subtle, though. Like, there is... An implication, for sure. It's not super overt, but there is an implication that Billy doesn't want Max hanging out with Lucas because Max... Or because Lucas Lucas is black. black. Um, And I I like that there's kind of that tension, and I feel like Lucas's character is kind of aware that that's Billy's problem with him. But Max is like, well, fuck it, we just gotta sneak out the back, he just can't see (laughs) you, you know? Like, no big deal. And I I, I like that the innocence is still there amongst the kids. Yeah, we're putting a literal interracial relationship and, you know, baby daughter's virginity on the line together in (laughs) 11-year-olds. That's how fucking... This show goes hard. They don't don't really imply that they're doing more than No, I I, I don't think they are yet. But the, the overall implication, the reason why... You know, bad mullets pissed off. And the reason like, Hopper says three inches is because he doesn't want them doing more exactly. than kissing. But I, I, I feel like they keep that level of innocence even in the third season when these characters are clearly a bit older. Like it doesn't feel like they're fucking mm-hmm. or that they want to fuck. It feels like they're just kind of well, exploring feelings. I agree with you, love. I don't think they're fucking. Um, (laughs) Like, the the implications are all there. Like, you have the sexuality angle of them coming to themselves and this interracial relationship that is occurring in children that young. That's all I meant. (laughs) I was like, let's not imply children are having sex. No, but how (laughs) how boss of a move was it to have the bathroom sequence where she comes out in the 80s? Like, we're we're all, like, looking. Oh, yeah. Robin. Yeah, like, we're all looking, we're like, Will's gonna be the one that comes out. Like, I thought Will was gonna be our gay character. Like, I thought that we were gonna finally give him the power there. And instead, it's the girl that you didn't see it coming from. So, like, not to sound crass, but you're not having, like, this flamboyant moment that's over the top. You just have it discussed, like adults would discuss it. Like, leave me alone, I'm gay. Well, I like... (laughs) Two, that they put both of those in the same season. So there's this moment, which they address that kids have been picking on Will and calling him a fag and stuff from season one. But we have that moment because Will is the only one that doesn't have a significant other by season three. Everyone else is kind of paired Mm -hmm. off with someone. Because he's been in literal hell. Yeah. (laughs) 
I don't get the impression, which I don't know where they're going to go with season three. I don't get the impression that his character is gay. I get the impression that his character is just emotionally stunted. Yeah. And so it's a really powerful moment when his own friend, like, doesn't really think about his words and says, it's not my fault you don't like girls. Because it does come mm-hmm. across like he's taking a Homophobic. shot. Homophobic. Yeah, yeah, like a bully would, where he's like, it's not my fault you're gay. Mm-hmm. You know? And you have this, like, really powerful scene where, like, Will just looks kind of, like, frozen. Like, I can't believe you just said that to me. You know? Like, what a dick thing. Like, all these kids my whole life have been picking on me saying shit like this to me. And my own friend is standing here saying yeah. this to me. And you like, have that immediate moment with Mike where he's like, I didn't mean it like that. Like, I'm sorry. You know? Mm-hmm. But then Robin actually literally comes out towards the end of the season as yeah. gay. And we don't have a moment with Steve where he's like, are you kidding me? You know, it's yeah. like immediate acceptance. Yeah. He's I like, still love you. <laughs> he's like, well, that girl that ignored you is a dud anyway. Yeah. You know, like you've got shitty taste in women. Pick a, <laughs> pick a better woman. Like, I like that we get both sides of that, where we see the hurt it's causing <coughs> a younger kid that yeah. ambiguously I could may or may not be gay, but at the very least is being bullied for being gay. And then we have this really vulnerable moment where she has to admit she's not into him like that. Cause he's like, I'm into you. Mm-hmm. And he's I felt just... like that was such a goddamn power move. That might be my favorite scene of the really entire fun. show did, so far. It did hurt me a little bit though. Cause I like Steve's character so much. And you're like, please. Can somebody <laughs> <Yeah>. fuck Steve? <laughs> somebody feed Phil. Somebody fuck Steve. I'm going to start my own spinoff show. Um, it's our next podcast where we do deep dives of every episode of Stranger Things, and it's just called Somebody Fuck Steve. And at <laughs> well, the end, plot twist, I'm fucking Steve. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, like, I, I really liked the growth where he was able to, I guess, kind of move on from Nancy. Like, you can tell he still has feelings for Nancy, but he's willing to move on enough to just let her be happy. They don't really show the two of them hanging out or anything, so we don't mm-hmm. really get a sense that... They've managed to stay close, but we do get a sense that he wants her to be happy and that he still respects her. Because, like I said, when other people bring her up, he's like, no, she's a good girl. You know, and... I think they're going to be the inadvertent power couple of season four. Like, I think... Steve and Nancy? Yeah. I don't think they'd go that route. Not like couple-couple, but, like, dynamic. Like, I think they're going to be the power dynamic. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think they'll... The (laughs) protectors. I don't think they'll ever put the two of them back together because the actors that play Nancy and Jonathan are dating in real life. So I don't think that they would really want to then have to split back up and date other people. Yeah. Um... But no, like, I, 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 yeah, had a moment where he had that cute little, like, moment with Robin where they're both tied to the chair, laying on the floor, thinking they're about to die. And I'm like, oh, they're kind of a cute couple. And then, like, the scene where she comes out is adorable, and they did such a good job on it. But I was like, oh, Steve, you're still alone. <laughs> you still only have children that hang out with you. Forever alone. <laughs> uh, my last one that I want to get to, And this never gets talked about outside of Stranger Things and outside of Stephen King novels. The fear of growing up. Now that we've introduced the Steve dynamic, where he's graduated high school, so he feels superior to these kids, but now he's just slinging ice cream. I think actually they made his character more vulnerable than ever. Like, they I did, think because they, pull, they pulled school. him out of his power. Like, mm-hmm. he had power in high school, but in the civilian world, he's just slinging ice cream. You know, and the kids feel so strong. Like, But they're slowly giving up on Will wanting to be Will the Mind or Will whatever, you know, his... Will the Wise. Will the Wise. Yeah, the fact that he donated his Dungeons and Dragons book and then they passed it off to Erica, so it's like on mm-hmm. to the younger generation. Exactly. It's kind like of heartbreaking. This <laughs> concept of like letting go, learning your lessons, being able to see things... Like, the upside down, the initial idea is just by flipping the board upside down, and now here's our new playing field, you know, when they're trying to explain it. And then you go into the literal upside down, and they start pushing that board game away. Like, no, we've seen what we needed to see. We've learned our lesson from this childhood symbol, and it needs to get away from us as we progress forward. Like, this whole concept of growing up. In Stranger Things. I do like that they still use Dungeons and Dragons to reference grappling with the real world danger, though. Like, they call, you know, the big bad monster the Mind Flayer, and that's a monster from Dungeons and Dragons. And, like, whenever there are these heavy concepts that if someone came to me and said, 
there's a whole other world on the other side of the space-time continuum, <laughs> and we just need to tear an opening. And on the other side of that world, there's demons that'll kill you. I'd yeah. be like, what? And they are slowly <laughs> integrating through Russian military operations <laughs> yeah. into our world. Like and we're going to tell this story with 11-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> so if somebody just came to me and said all that, I'd be like, what? But if there was like a video game that I was playing, and they were like, so it's like that monster... And that monster's weak to fire, so we just gotta make the room real yeah, hot. I'd like, be like, pretend we're playing Doom. Yeah, <laughs> pretend we're playing Doom right quick, and that thing only shoots one arrow at you every three seconds. It's enough time to get to this area, this area, this area, and behind this pillar. Go. <laughs> yeah, so I do like that they present the danger in that way. Like the kids are still thinking of it in a strategy board game based way, so that it makes it a more attainable, like they can find solutions yeah. to try to overcome it instead of just like, holy shit, that demon has like tiny little tentacles that come out of it and it's going to eat my face. Yeah. And I love that we make friends with dart. Like I love that that is an approach at one point where they're like, Oh no, we can just domesticate these guys. They're really fucking cool. And then it eats his cat and he's like, we need to kill everything. <laughs> I've, I've given up my let's, you know, make love, not war approach to this I, war. I like that him and dart get that final goodbye though. Yeah. Um, that's season two, right? Yeah, and season two where Dart lets them pass because he gives them more three musketeers. <laughs> like I like that they get their final. Loves goodbye. nougat. <laughs> I do love three musketeers as well. They are quite tasty. But what do you have any like overall takeaways? And then I'm gonna go make my beautiful wife a beautiful pizza, margarita pizza. <laughs> um, I don't. I I think that's my favorite thing about this show is I feel like there's a lot going on, even more so than. You know, in The Lord of the Rings, which is a movie that I really appreciate. Like, I, I feel like there's so many different dynamics and so many different cultures and, like, so mm -hmm. much stuff going on in The Lord of the Rings. And this is similar. Like, it's a bunch of children who are all vastly different if we're just looking at them and assessing them on the outside. But yeah. then you kind of get to know them and they have all these things in common and all these, like, struggles that they can kind of relate to. And then at the same time, on top of that, they're having their separate adventures where they're kind of growing and moving on yeah. their own. And it, it is, you know, minus the demon element, like a very I real... like the demon <laughs> element just because the human element is so strong. Mm. I can believe the demon. And the demon never sits in the light too long, which mm. is good. But, like, outside of the demon element, it's a very real-world look at what life is like. Like, that is true. People of color get picked on. It's hard for... Um, people that are in non-traditional relationships to kind of confront that with society and growing up is hard and losing a child is hard and losing mm. a loved one is hard. So you have all these real... And overcoming trauma is ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> moving away from your hometown and leaving your friends. Like, we yeah. get all these, like, real-world, like, things that I think, you know, I can't relate to all of them, obviously, and you can't relate to them all, obviously. Yeah. But I, I think there's so much in there that everyone can relate to something. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I appreciate that. I don't know. It's so inclusive, but also so realistic at the same time. It's not like a PC we're trying to include everyone type yeah. of thing. It's just like, this is just what life is like. But also demons. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... Uh... I think it's changed the genre and I'm, I'm sad that I didn't watch it as it was happening, but I'm also happy I didn't watch it as it was happening because I don't think I would have appreciated it as much. I'm glad I held off on season three because spoiler alert. <laughs> We're still waiting on season four. Uh, and hop. A major character <laughs> dies at the end of season three and I would have been salty that I had to wait this long for his comeback. <laughs> <laughs> to season four? To season four. Where are we going next week, love? Oh, um, <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, Brett's birthday is next weekend. Um, May the 3rd. As you guys are hearing this, his birthday will probably be ongoing. <laughs> um, but yeah, Brett and I are, for the first time since the pandemic started, going to go check out Montana a little bit. We're going to go stay at a cabin. I think it's in Polson, Montana yeah. is the town. Um, Flathead Lake. You yeah, guys seen the picture, how clear the water is. When the <laughs> dude puts his hand in, it looks like his skin's falling off that clear. That's where I'm going to be <laughs> hammered. Our cabin is uh, <laughs> basically on the lake. You can see the lake from the porch, but then there's also an orchard where behind the cabin. bears walk through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's an orchard behind the cabin that goes all the way up to the mountain. And I've heard per the reviews, 
It is fantastic to walk the orchard while drinking wine. Well, we <laughs> so. will walk the orchard, and we are probably currently drinking wine. <laughs> and uh, I am officially 30 years old. Dirty 30? How do you feel? Dirty 30. I'm... You'll have, to, would you'll have be, to tell me after you turn 30. <laughs> I thought I would be dead at 15. All right. I love you, sweetheart. <laughs> I love you guys. And we will talk to you once I am older and wiser and smarter than I've ever been. I wish I had a beautiful quote, but I can't even find my little cursor to turn off the fucking microphone. So. Breath the wise. It's probably going to happen. Is there a song for turning 30? I just know the phrase from... 13 going on 30, or 30 flirty and thriving. Ugh. <laughs> What's the blink? What's my age again? What's my age again? <laughs>